You're socially distanced, but you're not alone. These are the COVID Chronicles with Jenny Rudolph, brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. From the front lines of healthcare, the home front, and other unique perspectives on learning and connecting in the time of coronavirus. This is COVID Chronicles with Jenny Rudolph, and today I'm here with Amelia Rudolph, my sister, and the founding artistic director of Bandaloop, a vertical dance company she started in 1991. We're talking to Amelia because she and her colleagues in Bandaloop dance in places like the top of El Capitan tall buildings in Houston, New York, the Dolomites in Italy, cliffs in India, and they turn what is a horizontal, well-understood dance floor on its side, dancing by pushing off the sides of these structures. I thought it would be really great to talk with you today, Amelia, because I think a lot of us are struggling to find our balance, to find a way to connect, and to manage our fear in this very unsettling and difficult moment. So welcome, Amelia. Thanks, Jenny. I'm really happy to be here with you and will do my best to add my perspective to this conversation that we're having globally everywhere, it seems like, at this time. So Amelia, I think uh, when you and I were talking about this session, one of the things we wanted to acknowledge is that there's a lot of difficulty in this moment. A lot of people are at the edge of their economic abilities. They've lost work. They may not be able to make ends meet. A lot of my healthcare colleagues are on the front lines putting their own health and safety to some degree, possibly at risk because of shortages of personal protective equipment. And many of us regardless of situation, maybe feeling kind of the, be at the edge of what we've learned to tolerate in terms of fear. So I thought part of what would be great to talk with you about today is how do we manage all that? Because that's really been your life since you founded Bandaloop in 1991. And where I'd like to start is the idea of connection when we are feeling that we're kind of on the edge. I've seen you and your colleagues in the dance troupe, move together in unbelievable ways at 2,000 feet, at several hundred feet on a building, uh, 2,000 feet on a cliff. Talk to me a little bit about connection, moving together in the face of a situation that I think many of us would find quite edgy at the very least and frightening at the most. Well, let me start by maybe just focusing in on that moment to see what, if I don't think about how it works in the world right now, let me just explain how that feels and how we manage it, and then maybe we can see if we can make some connections. There's a few things that set up the situation in the first place that allows for the dancer to have the ability, the person involved in the edgy situation, to have the ability to be innovative, creative, interpretive, sensitive, articulate, all the things you want to be as a dancer. And those that setup and the framework is really important. So that framework has to do with having experts and good leadership 
in charge of your situation and safety and the systems in place for your safety, like the rigging and the ropes and the equipment to be done and put together in such a way that you understand the systems and you trust the systems and you know that they have been checked multiple times and you yourself check it. So in Bandloop, we have three levels of checks. You check yourself, you check your partner, and the rigger comes in and checks you. So Amelia, let me just unpack a little bit what you're saying for those of us who aren't that familiar with climbing or your setup. So imagining that you have popped the windows out on the 150th floor of a building. 25th floor. But weren't you recently at the 100th floor? We did just dance above the 100th floor um, in New York City, yes. Okay. I'm going to, let's stick with the 100th floor. So you pop the windows out at the 100th floor. So you run your ropes and, and webbing and tape across the room inside the building, and you've set up incredibly secure anchors on the inside. And those ropes are running out the window down the building. And so when you say you're doing a personal check, you're, you yourself are on harness and in a harness and on belay. You check your partner before you go out the window. Your partner checks you. The rigger checks you both before you go out the window, and the rigger and someone else check that basic anchor. How am I doing? You asked, you know, how do you get to the place where you feel okay doing what you're doing sort of over the edge? And it starts with this uh, redundant system of safety checks and an understanding of the components of that, whether that is physical components or systemic pieces of it. And once that's all done, then you go over the edge, which doesn't mean that's still not scary because it can be, but your, your sense of the whole picture is inside of a vetted system and a redundant system that you understand. So then there you are rappelling off the building down to the dance floor, which we call a dance floor, which is really the side of the skyscraper in this instance. And let's just go on and say that the music begins. For your show. And when that happens, feeling the sense of performance and music and the ritual quality of the beginning of the piece. And as I stand or rise up and face my partner, she's looking back at me and we connect with our eyes, but we also are connecting through literally viscerally through our movement and the cells of our body as she begins to move and I begin to move and our dance begins. And it is a it's like a little bit of a circuit that's both psychological and somewhat, I would say, kinetic or visceral, where you're we're seeing and responding to one another, whether it's set choreography or not. And that circuit of awareness is very powerful, but it's also very delicate. And I think that piece of it, so lots of things can knock you out of your ability to stay tuned to that person. You forget a piece of choreography, so you're like, what happens next? Or a bird flies by in your peripheral vision, or a plane. Any number of things can happen that can maybe knock you out of that. And then what I think is critical and interesting in this moment is this idea of recovery. I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, when you fall out of your attunement or connection, how do you get it back? What what little cues do you give yourself to get back into? being able to work together very closely with somebody. I'd like to connect a few things you're saying to healthcare 
providers right now. One is that I think part of the sense of fear that some of my colleagues report, uh, and I'm talking to healthcare providers almost on every continent, is that they need to depend on their clinics and hospital system to have that system, the backup system, the policies for personal protection, what happens with the patient, the ins and outs of the room, the infection control, vetted and solid. And I think when that is in place, they are able then to do the equivalent of what you're talking about, which is attune with the patient, attune with each other. So I think that's one really important thing that hospital and clinic and health systems need to think about is the metaphor that you've talked about is having those anchors and having those checks and having all those things in place that allow the providers to do the work that they're trained to do. The second thing you've talked about, and this is what I'd like to explore with you now, is if that system is good and in place, that allows you as a dancer to dance, that allows you as a dancer to connect with the other dancers and attune with them and move with them. A number of the providers that I've been speaking with are in the position of taking care of patients in a surgical mask with glasses on, sometimes with something called a papper, which is a plastic shield that goes over their whole face. Sometimes they're in full body garb. And they may either be actually in the patient's room or occasionally now even talking with patients through the door via video. And so the moral distress or the difficulty that some of them sometimes face is that they can't provide that interpersonal caring that they're used to being able to do by touch or physical proximity. And given that you and your colleagues move you know, at several hundred feet above the ground, 10, 15, 20 feet from each other while you're dancing, I'm thinking there might be some transfer or something that we could learn for those of us who are either just trying to talk with each other at social distance or are the healthcare providers I was mentioning who are trying to now communicate with patients through all this personal protective equipment. Any thoughts on that? What comes to mind for me is a couple of things. One is memory that as a provider, I imagine you have a lot of experience with doing that the other way. And that, you know, I know from as a dancer, my body remembers so much. It's like that feeling that you can still play something on the piano, even though you have no idea how to play it. You know, there's sort of this weird muscle memory. But as as humans, I'm sure as a caretaker, you've done certain things so many times. I wonder whether you can cue yourself to tune into how that felt to do it uh, compassionately before so that at a distance you are still sort of exuding or giving off physically and maybe through your eyes the same feeling, the same sense of care. So something about memory and tuning into muscle memory and, and experiential memory. And strangely, the other one is to, to name it. Like in general, I think when things are difficult or uncomfortable um, and changing, simply naming it with the other person really makes you closer. I'm finding it hard 
because I'm stuck out here and I'm going to do my best to connect with you, even though I have to stand in the doorway. Will you work with me? You know, I feel like doing that makes you a human being to them who's struggling in your own way, which of course, if you're feeling crappy, I understand it's completely different, but still just bringing up that you're sharing this feeling and, and simply naming it, I think can be really powerful. People talk a lot about the value of naming in interpersonally awkward situations, for example, in feedback conversations, or I do a lot of work in the debriefing space. And so when an awkward dynamic comes up, naming the dynamic, or if something comes up, some people talk about name it to tame it. And what you're saying here is extending that discipline to this globally, literally, but also in the healthcare patient, caretaker, patient provider dialogue, naming the awkwardness and that affirming your interest in connecting with that other person. Exactly. Because what you said to me was these people are, you know, a lot of caretakers are finding it hard because it's so different and they don't feel like they can care for because they're not looking right into the eyes or touching the person. And so the caretaker themselves, not in comparison to having trouble breathing, that's a completely different level of discomfort, but the caretaker themselves is struggling to do what they're used to doing better. And so, yeah, I feel like that is awkward to them or something. And so naming it, I think could, could really help. And it also may help the patient you know, if you don't name it, and you're like, dang, you know, I, I'm so lonely sitting over here and feeling so scared and the person can't, and they're so far away. I feel like sharing that discomfort will connect you, will cause attunement. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. So Amelia, I'd like to shift gears from talking a bit about creating safety in a edgy space and attuning in an edgy space to the more work-a-day or family-a-day challenges that so many of us are currently facing. You and I obviously grew up together. We spent a lot of time in India together. We spent time in Chicago. We fought fiercely as (laughs) young sisters, and I was supposed to be visiting you next week, and I'm not going to be. And so I think we're all experiencing connection losses with our friends and our family and people we can't see and touch and hold. And what are you doing in your kind of own psychology as you were being someone who's so very physical and so much of your life has been about physical touch and physical connection and choreography and dance to manage this? I just want to acknowledge, even before I answer your question, speaking of naming things, that my problems as kind of a middle class white person in America are probably really different. They're still stressful, but they're probably sort of a different scale than I imagine there's so many people even in our own country. I know people in our own country are experiencing where, you know, yes, even inside of a situation where you can't pay your rent or you're struggling to feed your kids, you still need connection. But I think it's really important to just say, I feel very privileged in my problems. So things that I'm doing to connect and care for myself, what I do for me and what I'm doing sort of for my family and kids or slight kid is slightly different. Uh, What I'm doing for myself every single day 
is getting into green space. There's something about having the ground beneath your feet and the sky above you, and the and it helps if they're trees and birds. That would be great too. But simple reality of like this long and grand universe around us that's been here forever and is going to be here a long time, whether the earth survives and the humankind survives, it's still, it's really an anchor for me. I have gone out and looked at the night sky. Something about seeing things that are much bigger than me um, seems to be very grounding and refreshing for me when I'm feeling contained in my house and contained in trying to manage everything. So that's probably the very most important thing I'm doing. As a dancer, I have been stretching and doing exercises and keeping my body conditioned in in funny different ways, like hanging a thing off the back of the house that I can use, you know, a TRX system to be able to work out differently because I can't go to the gym. I took a New York City dance class last Monday with 45, 22-year-olds. That was so cool. The teacher was in her living room with her kitchen behind her. And you could there were five pages of people on the Zoom thing taking this class. And it was so fun because it was such a, it was physical and we were all sharing movement together. I, I know a lot of people are taking yoga and different classes online. And it is so much better than doing nothing. So I I really encourage people to go find those things. They're popping up more and more. And so just thinking about my colleagues who are, you know, in the OR for 12 or 13 hours a day or the labor and delivery floor for the same or uh, in a respiratory clinic with fluorescent lighting or in a hospital in New Delhi where there's very little open space of any sort. I'm thinking, love to get your kind of RX outside or RX movement for those people. Just a couple quick thoughts. Well, even in New Delhi, where I was recently, um, where the air is not great, uh, the sky is still above you. And you can walk in Lodi Gardens. Is like, there's the place, great place in New Delhi to go walk where there is green. But I hear you that many people are far from green space. But this is the couple thing I'd say is there's still the, the awareness of the earth underneath your feet and the sky above you still sets the context that is different than being inside. So simply getting outside, I actually had a friend the other day who lives in an apartment complex and she can't leave because she's immunocompromised, that she's now walking circles in the courtyard which you could probably do at a hospital. And I guess the main thing I would say is I I believe that a tiny bit, like sitting next to a tiny plant and looking at it and noticing it and the sky, a tiny bit of this is so much better than none. So a small dose of movement, outdoorness, grounding on the earth is something that you as the founding artistic director of Bandaloop, a vertical dance company, you as an experiential educator, entrepreneur, and public speaker are recommending to us uh, other mortals who don't have the same kind of dance life that you do. Thank you very much, Amelia. Would you like to have the second to last word? I believe that this difficulty that is we're all experiencing differently, I am seeing in every area I interact with, 
I'm seeing innovation and a change of perspective. And as an artist, that is everything that I aspire to is how can I get myself to think differently? How can I help others do that? Um, And I feel like it's happening everywhere. And I suspect it's even happening in the difficult situations in the medical field and that things will be different in the recovery of all of this. There's going to be all kinds of changes that come from innovations that are happening, even from some of the most difficult situations. And, And that people are learning so many things right now that I hope will play into our brave new world that's going to come after this. Thank you, Amelia, my beloved sister and founding artistic director of Bandaloop. So happy to have you with us on COVID Chronicles. Thank you for listening, and we hope this was a bit of an oasis in your day. Remember, you're socially distanced, but you're not alone. These are the COVID Chronicles with Jenny Rudolph. Learn more at www.harvardmedsim.org.